Good evening. I'm Kenz. And I'm Alexis. Welcome to Spectral. So, how's everybody doing? It hasn't been too long since we talked last. No. I mean, it's really a, a very one-sided conversation. We we talk. But I hope you guys talk back to us. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, I do when I listen to podcasts. You know what? Same. Honestly. Uh, no new updates really over here. Just watching a lot of Four Weddings. Yeah, we got sucked into a black hole. Yeah. It's a show on TLC, if you don't know what it is, where they have four different weddings that are compared, Mm -hmm. basically. Hence the name, yeah. And some of that shit is wild. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, it's crazy. We watched one recently where, I don't remember the exact theme, but there were like these black candelabras. It was Halloween. Halloween was the theme. Okay, Halloween was the theme. And it it was really cool. I don't think they won, though, but it was cool. Yeah, they didn't, but it was beautiful. Yeah. Just, you know, nesting. It's cold outside. Oh, yeah, us. Yes, yeah. we are nesting. <laughs> we are yes. nesting. Alexis is excited to watch football tonight. I love football. She's a big football fan now. It just happened. Yeah, I'm your stereotypical football gay now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get ready to make some Christmas cookies. I fucking love Christmas cookies. Yeah, I'm going to make Italian snowball cookies. Oh. Okay, stop moaning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done. Stop moaning. <laughs> Stop making such good cookies. I don't know. Um, They're really great. Yeah, they are. And I get to help roll them out. That's true. I love doing that. <laughs> and and um, rolling them in the powder. Oh, sugar. my God. That's so fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. So, everyone, I hope you're getting ready, getting all your last minute holiday shopping in. Yeah. I can't believe it's Christmas in like Soon. What, 12 days Soon or something. Soon time. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, enjoy your Christmas spirit for now because this episode is a real downer so yeah alexis is hosting and she has warned me Mm -hmm. that i will probably be upset yeah here's everybody else's warning now this is upsetting and it's really sad and it's a mix of like a freak accident Mm -hmm. with premonitions Mm -hmm. and ghost stories yeah curses curses yeah really a whole conundrum here so it's got a little bit of everything yeah I don't know the story yet, but grab your tissues, because that's what she said to me. thought you were going to say titties. Oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> grab your titties. Yeah. Like, prepare, you know? Like, oh, like, oh. like lock in. Yeah. Lock in, like, grab them. So, today, just in time for the holiday traveling season, I apologize in advance, I'm going to tell you about the tragic story of American Airlines Flight 191. We'll dive into the crash itself, the premonitions that saved a few lives, the hauntings that followed, and maybe even a curse. I'm so excited. Okay, so let me set the scene. It was just another Memorial Day weekend on May 25th, 1979. Airports around the country were packed, and O'Hare International Airport in Chicago, Illinois, was no exception. We've been there. I know. We've been there together and separately. You've been there a lot. Yeah, I have. And if you're from the area, you know that Midway is so much better than O'Hare. Um, the first time I ever flew alone was flying to meet Alexis in Chicago. That's me. Hello. Um, and she overslept. Just a little. No, by a lot and didn't pick me up at the airport. So it was like 7 a.m. I was by myself and I got an Italian hoagie at 730 in the morning. And then true. slept on a bench. 
until she came. Yeah. The weather was clear, visibility was great, and it was a perfect travel day. 258 passengers and 13 crew members boarded American Airlines Flight 191 with the intent to travel from Chicago to Los Angeles, California to celebrate the long weekend. Flight 191 was expected to take off around 3 p.m. local time. The flight was headed by 53-year-old Captain Walter Lux, 49-year-old First Officer James Dillard, and 56-year-old Flight Engineer Alfred Udovich. Between the two pilots, they had over 25,000 flight hours logged, and nearly 2,000 of these hours were on the type of plane that this flight was on. I did think at first you were going to say they've had 25 years of experience between them, so then when you went said 25,000, I was like, what is she about to say? They might have had that many years. 25,000 years of experience between them. Oh, I thought you just meant 25. Yeah, I understand. It's okay. So the flight was on a McDonnell Douglas DC-10, which is a wide-body aircraft or jumbo jet. So the plane had two aisles and three sets of seats. Two seats by the window, five seats in the middle, and then two seats on the other side. I know this sounds really cramped and miserable, but this was back when coach seats had a lot more room Mm -hmm. before airlines um, turned to complete capitalism. I say before they got greedy and now give everyone 18 inches of space. Exactly. So the DC-10 first flew in August 1970 and was introduced to American Airlines in August of 1971. This specific plane was about seven years old and had about 20,000 hours of flight time logged. It had three engines, one on each wing and one on the vertical stabilizer, which is the tall part between both sides of the tail. Okay. Like the little shark fin situation. Yeah, the little fin. Yeah, look at you. Okay. Its last flight before the crash was on May 11th, where no mechanical issues were logged in the maintenance records. However, against protocol, the maintenance records were left on the plane on May 25th, so they were destroyed in the crash. As the plane began to taxi down the runway, Captain Lux introduced himself and the crew to the passengers before inviting them to watch the takeoff on the screens above their seats. I guess in the 70s and 80s, I don't actually know when this stopped, but it was a normal practice to make passengers feel at ease so they would watch the takeoff from the pilot's point of view on the screens above their seats. What do you mean by screens above their seats? Like TVs? Kind of like, have you ever been on a, a coach bus that had like, oh, yeah, like, like a like TV a, for every like three rows of yes, seats? Yes. Okay. It was kind of like that. That makes, I was like, because there's no way that this plane had individual TVs. Yeah. And- no, it was actually just like coach buses have. So okay. it would be, yeah, like three rows would kind of share a TV. You'd be able to see if you could or if you couldn't. There usually wasn't any sound. That makes sense. Okay, I understand. So just after takeoff, the plane's left engine and pylon assembly, which is basically a long rod that keeps the engine and wing slats together, detached from the wing and ripped away, destroying a vital part of the wing in terms of aerodynamics and structural stability. When the engine detached, the cockpit voice recorder stopped working so that the pilots could no longer communicate with air traffic controllers. Oh my god, that sounds like such a nightmare. I know. Like, immediately. I know. The voice recorder did pick up a thump, which is assumed to be the engine falling off and hitting the ground, and a pilot exclaiming, Damn! Since the recorders weren't working, air traffic controllers could not communicate to the pilots that they lost an engine, so they did not know what was wrong. So they just heard, the pilots heard a bump and yelled, damn, but they didn't know what it was. Correct. Okay. And they, they faced a lot of difficulties. Okay. After this, the plane went through a slew of technical difficulties. The main hydraulic system failed, 
the third hydraulic system began to leak, the electric bus failed, causing several instruments at the cockpit to stop. And, I mean, you already know how this ends. The plane does crash. The really sad part is, technically, the pilots had two different ways that they could have prevented this. There was a switch in the cockpit's overhead panel that could have reset the instruments and gave them power again, so at least they would have known what was going on. And there was a backup switch accessible to the flight engineer, but it would have been really hard for him to reach that. He would have had to turn around in his seat, unbuckle his seatbelt, stand up, and I don't know if that would have been possible. So do we like end up knowing, did all these systems start failing because they lost an engine, or it was, or it was all just some sort of like cascade of mechanical failures? Um, we'll get into that, but okay. it, it basically was just a really bad luck turned into a bunch of electrical failures. Electrical failures, okay. So the plane reached a maximum altitude of 350 feet, or about 110 meters, and it was only in the air for 31 seconds. Oh my gosh, so this is immediately, like this- This was immediately. This was the plane had just started to take off when the engine fell. Oh my god, oh. Since some of the cockpit instruments failed, which includes the wing slats that control direction, the plane veered left until it was almost perfectly vertical. The nose began to tip downward, leading to the plane's crash and explosion in a field only 4,600 feet or about 1,400 meters from the runway. There were no survivors. Oh my god. The crash site was next to a mobile home park, so two bystanders were killed on the ground and two additional people were injured. A local woman recalled seeing tons of ambulances lined up near the crash site, and she remembers wondering why they weren't taking anyone to the hospital until it dawned on her. The crash also destroyed an abandoned aircraft hangar, several cars, and a mobile home. Flight 191 is, to this day, and knock on wood, the U.S.'s worst aviation disaster. Oh, yeah, because they don't consider 9-11 like an aviation disaster. Exactly. Terrorist. Okay. So how many people are you going to get there? How many people in total died? Everybody. 258 passengers and 13 crew members, and then those two people on the ground. That's a lot. I know. After a months-long investigation, the National Transportation Safety Board discovered the crash was caused by mechanic error during plane maintenance two months prior to the crash. So the mechanics, one of which was described as only having on-the-job training, took a shortcut mandated by American Airlines when removing the engines to repair the wing pylons. So the pylon, again, is that metal rod that connects everything. When they removed it, you're meant to take everything apart and put it back in. The shortcut was to take the engine off as a whole, put it on a forklift, keeping it perfectly level, inspecting it, and then putting it back. Because the pylon is just a big rod, it was really hard to remove, and it wasn't necessary to inspect. Okay, and that was a shortcut that they shouldn't be doing. They should not be doing. They should take it completely apart, but it was very time-consuming. So instead, they just took the whole thing and moved it Mm. in one piece instead of in several pieces. Yeah, yeah. So this shortcut cracked an aluminum component in the pylon, and over the two months leading up to the crash, wear and tear widened the crack until it broke. When the aluminum component completely broke, this caused the engine of Flight 191 to break loose, damaging the electrical and hydraulic systems. Oh, God. I know. The odds of all of these factors happening at once on a DC-10 was 10 billion to one. That's absolute insanity. I know. It just, 
it was this shortcut, you know, two months later led to one thing which led to another. And the pilots had no idea what was happening because this was not the kind of mechanical failure that they're trained to deal with. I was going to say, like, you cannot predict a part inside a part. Exactly. That's not even like a, a vital thing, like an engine breaking. It was a part inside the pylon attached to the engine. Yeah. And in one of the articles I was reading, because this is such a big disaster, they had 15 different pilots try to land safely in a flight simulation with this happening, and none of them could figure out how to do it. So although there could have been, if they were able to flip that power switch, maybe they could have saved them. But because they were only in the air 31 seconds, it's unlikely that there was any way they would survive. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when, when you were saying like the engineer on the, mm-hmm. could have stood up and turned around and flipped a switch. Yeah. My first thought was like, okay, why, why wouldn't he? Because I didn't realize it was literally they'd got in the air mm-hmm. and then immediately started falling to the ground. Yeah. That makes, yeah, that's a lot. That makes a lot more sense. So after the crash, American Airlines was fined $500,000 or what would be $1.4 million today. Did any of that money go to the victims' families? Probably, but I don't know. So after the plane crash, um, people kind of flocked to the scene, including a Catholic priest from a local church. And this is a quote from him. It was too hot to really do anything but administer the last rites. I just walked around trying to touch a body here or there, but I could not. It was too hot to touch anybody, and I really could not tell if they were men or women. Bodies were scattered all over the field. My God. I know. That must be so traumatic to, like, witness. A lot of people on the scene that gave quotes said that it was the worst thing they've ever seen in their lives. I I was going to say, I could not imagine just the absolute carnage Yeah, that would be there. I know. Okay, so now that we've covered the crash itself... Let's dive into the premonitions that saved a couple lives. Very Final Destination. Oh my god, it is. I love those movies, even though they're so bad. I know. I mean, I I love them. So do you know who Lindsay Wagner is? No. Should I? Should I know who she is? You don't have to. Okay, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know who she is. Not off the top of my head. Lindsay Wagner um, is an American actress, model, author, and singer. She was in the show The Bionic Woman, which was very popular in the mid-70s. And since then, she's had a very fulfilling career and has won an Emmy Award. Okay. So Lindsay Wagner and her mother had tickets for Flight 191. (gasps) Ten minutes before boarding, Lindsay had a premonition of something horrific happening. She had a psychic flash of the plane crashing. And so she begged her mother to change their flight. They stayed at the airport until the next flight. And that's when they found out about 191's crash and the lack of survivors. Those sorts of things, like, I don't, that's, that's some kind of divine intervention. Like, I, I, I just don't understand. But then you got to wonder, why would some people, like Lindsay Wagner, get some sort of divine intervention? I know. And not other people. I know. It's absolutely heartbreaking. That's so fascinating, though. I know. This like, just, like, just had, like, a vision, like, come yeah, into her mind. Yeah, before, yeah. And obviously, I don't know, you know, how you could change your flight back in the day. I know you probably just had to go up to a gate agent. Before COVID, it was a flight change was $200 and you had to pay whatever difference in fare. If she had this premonition and money was an object, she might have had to board that plane anyway. Yeah, I was like, there's crazy. I couldn't. Do you know how old her and her like, was she like young? Was she an adult at this point? 
She was about 30 at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So always follow your gut. Trust your gut. Yeah. I mean, if I ever had a feeling, I've seen way too many like scary movies and yeah. plane crashes and premonitions that I feel like if I ever had a bad feeling, I'd be like, I don't care. Yeah. We're not getting on the plane. I know. Okay. So this next premonition is absolutely heartbreaking because technically it didn't save anyone's life, but it almost ruined someone else's oh no so a man named david was living an average life in cincinnati ohio he had a job he had a family in mid-may of 1979 he had a nightmare that jolted him awake in his dream he was standing in a field when he noticed a jumbo jet flying towards him making a strange sound he watched as the plane started tilting to one side and then dove straight into the ground and exploded does that sound familiar sounds exactly like what happened David brushed the nightmare off. He didn't have any upcoming travel plans, didn't give the dream any additional thought, until he had the same nightmare the next night, and the next night. David had this nightmare seven nights in a row. Seven nights? Seven nights in a row. Just to start, seven nights in a row. That's so intense. Each time he woke up, he felt an increased sense of urgency and dread. He would even wake up crying. Like, I have a lot of nightmares, but I... you do. I know, but something that scary and horrific mm-hmm. and impactful and visceral. Yeah, yeah, night after night after night must be exhausting. So on May 22nd, David called the Cincinnati Division of the Federal Aviation Administration and voiced his concerns to the facility's manager, Paul Williams. Paul heard David's concerns and even asked him to describe the type of aircraft. He was taking it pretty seriously. Okay, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked, but that's Me good. Me too, yeah. David could remember only that it was an American Airlines flight in his dream, but nothing else. Later that week, after having the dream again and again, David called Paul back with more details. From David's description of the plane, Paul could tell that it was a DC-10. But besides determining the operator and the type of plane, what else could they do? A random man's dream is not enough to ground an entire fleet of planes. The night of May 24th, David had the dream again, but when he woke up, he said he knew he would never have it after that night. That's so eerie. I know. And it's true that, like, this Paul guy, he probably feels so much guilt, I'm Mm -hmm. assuming. Yeah. But, like, realistically, like, what are you going to do? What can you do? Yeah. Who's going to take you seriously? Yeah. And, like, even if he actually believed him, it's that, like, what you're going to ground a whole, like you said, like, one type of plane. Exactly. And because in his dream, he doesn't know the date. Mm-hmm. So it's just, like, for how long, you know, like, how would you know if it would make a difference? You wouldn't. Yeah. And you could even argue that if he escalated it any further, it could almost come off as a threat. Yeah, that that's the first thing I thought you were going to say, yeah. is that he was going to have, like, the FBI show up at his mm-hmm. door. Oh, God, yeah. that If he kept going, that could have happened. So on May 25th, David went to work and had a nervous break, causing him to leave work early. So for those of you that maybe don't know, Chicago is in Central Time. Ohio is on Eastern Time. So Ohio, where David is, is an hour ahead of Chicago. So the plane crash was at 4 p.m. David's time. He was already home at this time when he heard about the news, and he was absolutely inconsolable. He reached back out to Paul, who tried to convince David that there was absolutely nothing either of them could do. But for the rest of both of their lives, I'm sure they felt a lot of guilt over this. Yeah, that's so upsetting. I hope he's doing okay. I mean, me too. 
I could not imagine having that guilt. Yeah, that that's a lot. I mean, at least he actually called though. Like how? Yeah. Like I don't know if I would honestly. You know, like you, but I guess the dream must have been that intense mm-hmm. and that real feeling. Yeah. Okay, so now we're gonna pivot to the hauntings. So sightings of spirits and strange occurrences started just a few months after the crash. Super quick sidebar. So it's a Chicago airport, but it's technically in De Plains. Do you remember what was happening in De Plains six months before the crash, which was May 1979? Okay. No. Also, <laughs> wait. You need to say it slower for people not from the area because not from being what? From not being from the area? How do you say that? For people not from the area? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, it sounds like you're saying De Plains. Well, it's D-E. S. Planes. The planes. I understand. But we're talking about an airport and like a plane crash. Oh my god, you're right. So you can't just be like the planes. Oh my god, you're right. And I was like, (laughs) duh. (laughs) And what do the planes be doing? (laughs) That's fair. Okay, I'm sorry. So start the planes is what? (laughs) Is where? (laughs) Okay, so the O'Hare Airport is in the planes. Just outside Chicago. Yes. De Plains is famous for something else that happened about six months before the crash. Do you have any idea what it could have been? I have literally not a single clue. Okay, so if you all have heard of um, John Wayne Gacy, yeah, he was in De Plains and he was caught, including them discovering all those bodies in his basement of those poor boys december 1978 so it was like six months before this crash oh my god so this police force was stretched thin you know that at least five cops retired yeah like oh they, my god for sure it was like may 27th and they were like mm, mm-hmm. i'm done like yeah. they just didn't come back from like memorial day breaks definitely They're like you know what i had a nice barbecue with my family i'm never mm-hmm. going back they were like this midwest suburbia this is not working out <laughs> this, i'm done this was a scam yeah. but yeah they probably were like i want to avoid the super dangerous areas of chicago mm-hmm. and <laughs> let me take this suburban role mm-hmm. nope nope so the De Plains police received several reports of bobbing white lights in the field where the crash site was. At first, they thought maybe teenagers or troublemakers were exploring the site and holding flashlights. What else could it really be? So yeah, fair. Fair. Yeah. But then one day, a police officer was only a few minutes away when they received another report of these bobbing white lights. He drove over, parked, saw the white lights, got out of his cruiser, ready to just yell at some teenagers, when suddenly the lights were gone and the field was completely silent. No one there, nothing shining, just gone. Okay. So that's the start of these these creepy things. Okay. So this probably goes without saying, but residents of the adjacent mobile home park were shaken up following the crash. While one mobile home was completely destroyed, several others were damaged from the debris and fire following the crash. If anything, it probably made this community stronger and closer than ever. So when residents began experiencing weird things at all hours of the day, everybody knew about it until they started experiencing it themselves. It started with abrupt knocking on their doors and windows in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day. No. Didn't matter. No. I hate that. I know. Residents would look outside at first expecting a visitor and then nobody would be there. Then their doorknobs started rattling and shaking as if someone or something was trying to get in. 
Mm-mm. When they would open the door, again, no one was there. Residents started hearing footsteps around their homes. Oh, my God. I would be so scared. I I, I'm, like, already getting... Especially because you're in a mobile home. Mm-hmm. So, like, your sense of security is not going to be the same as if you're in, like, a normal brick-and-mortar kind of building. Mm-hmm. And they would hear sounds of their outdoor furniture clanging around. But then when they looked outside, no one was there. Until one day, a resident heard knocking on their door and likely fed up from all the false alarms swung it open. There was a figure standing there looking terrified and ghost white, saying he needed to find his luggage and he needed to make his connection. When the resident looked away to call their spouse over, he was gone. Residents also report hearing faraway cries and moans coming from the field. Oh, that part breaks my heart. I know. And like, you're assuming that the, the quick knocking is like panicked, scared mm-hmm. knocking. Yeah. Like, where am I? What is this? Help me. Yeah. Oh, my God. For some, this was just too much. Living next to the site of a tragedy is a lot, and these constant reminders became overwhelming. Several residents moved out, but of course, new people always moved in, sometimes not knowing the history. A few years after the crash, one of the newer residents was out walking his dog along the edges of the field where the plane crashed. It was pretty cold out, so when a young man without a jacket approached him, he was a little confused, but he was like, okay. You know, maybe he's exercising. I don't know. Yeah. It was a pretty safe area. Maybe he just went for a jog. When the young man reached the resident, he asked him where he could make an emergency phone call. The resident noticed the man absolutely reeked of gasoline and almost looked like there was steam coming off of him. Oh, that's such a terrifying image to think about. I know. It reminds me of in Hereditary. Oh, God. You know, when she pours like the gasoline over her head. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But like, I just am thinking about someone just yeah, looking, oh, God, okay. But he's looking at him, and he's thinking, okay, if he was out running, could be, you know, his body is hot, the air is cold, maybe it's just that. The resident turned away for just a second to point out the nearest payphone, but when he turned back to face the young man, he was gone. And this is in an open field, like by... Open field, yep, so nothing you'd see him. behind. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So since the crash site is essentially a mass grave, it's been very popular among ghost hunters and researchers. In 2013, on the anniversary of the crash, a few members of the Illinois Ghost Society were able to access the perimeter of the site and tried making contact with any remaining spirits. They used ghost boxes and a few other types of ghost technology that I don't quite understand. Mm Mm-hmm. If you remember to ghost boxes, we talked about it briefly in our spooky apps episode. Yeah, we did. But it's like a device that um, phrases or words will come up. And here are a few things the ghost box sessions caught. Quote, almost made it. Mm-hmm. Quote, need power. I know. Yeah. She's looking at me very upset. I say, I'm just, yeah, I'm just looking yeah. at Alexis so sad. Quote, Walter, which if you remember was the captain's first name. That's so upsetting. I know. I just, I'm thinking about just all of the heavy, tragic, sad energy. Yeah. That mu- Like, I, I would never be able to live next to there. No, it's, it's got to be thick. I was going to say, because it would just weigh you down all the time. Yeah. And then the last one, wax, which we'll get into the meaning of that one later. And wax, it will break your heart. W-A-X. Yeah. So these hauntings even extended to the airport itself, as people reported seeing confused and dazed-looking travelers wearing outdated clothing 
wandering the airport. Sometimes they'll even go up to people and ask where they can catch their flight to Los Angeles. I know, it's so sad. I know, I'm like, I, I don't even know what to say. I never want to go back to O'Hare. This I, just makes me so sad. I know. And like to think about that we were right by this site. Yeah. I've probably been there. I can't even count how many times. So not only does this case have a haunting, there's a curse because of course there is. I mean, it feels like it. If, yeah. if this, if anything would be cursed, it seems like there would be a curse tied to this. Weirdly enough, this isn't the only tragedy associated with the flight number 191. Okay, well, we're never flying anything ever that has the flight number 191. Ever. It, it is mostly retired. You will only find a flight 191 on United and Spirit, I think. Okay, well. So, so different airlines can use the same flight numbers, but they are typically assigned based on the route of the flight and the operator. If a flight number is associated with a crash or accident, that operator specifically will typically retire the number. So after 1979, there likely weren't any other American Airlines flights with the number 191. But that doesn't mean that all other operators will retire this number, even though it seems like you just should. Yeah, just should it seems like the respectful thing to yeah. do, but I mean, I, I kind of get Yeah, I, I, I get why like the competitors yeah. kind of wouldn't really care about it so overall four flights with the number 191 have crashed four four which is kind of a lot it's that, the no most. that's that's a lot it's a lot like when you start looking into the odds of a plane crash it's so low so i'm like mm-hmm. specifically plane crashes with deaths yes yeah not like emergency landing kinds of things or yeah. like wow so the first incident actually predates our case It was in 1972 when a flight from San Juan, Puerto Rico, was flying to the Ponce Airport, which is just in the southern tip of the island, and it crashed during landing, killing five of the 20 people on board. So each of these cases has kind of a weird part about it. So for this one, the weird part is that the pilots claimed an unauthorized vehicle was on the runway, which forced them to go around, but then they miscalculated their landing. The plane stalled and then suddenly dropped onto the runway. Oh, gosh. After the National Transportation Safety Board completed two different investigations three years apart into the crash, they found that there was no way an unauthorized vehicle was on the runway at the time. So they either were like lying Mm -hmm. because they panicked Mm -hmm. or there's some kind of phantom vehicle. Yeah. Okay. So chronologically, the next crash in this curse is our American Airlines Flight 191. Mm-hmm. The next one is in 1985, when Delta Flight 191 left Fort Lauderdale, Florida, for Dallas, Texas. About halfway through the flight, the pilots encountered thunderstorms, but this is pretty common for these areas, so the pilots knew how to maneuver through the storms. As the plane began its descent, it hit a microburst. So a microburst is basically a storm pocket with winds that affect planes differently. They can cause headwinds, which slows the plane down, downdrafts, which pushes the plane towards the ground, or tailwinds, which push the plane forward. The microburst forced the plane into the ground before it could reach the runway, but then bounced it back into the air, then down again into a field with water tanks. The plane's engine struck a car, killing the driver, and the plane was completely destroyed from rows 1 to 34, killing 137 of the 163 on board. Oh my god. So 
the engine, the plane like bobbed so low that it struck a car? Is that, it, is yeah. that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. You know how airports usually have like a ton of highways around them? Yes. It was, it was like that. So were they trying to land or like the storm made them bob that low? They were getting ready to descend. Yes. But it was, it was too early. So it bobbed them down. And then bopped them back up because they had their wheels down. Yes. Okay. I understand. Yeah. But then it slammed them kind of nose first. And that's why the first half, everybody unfortunately passed away. They do say the safest part of a plane is like the back middle. Yeah. So a little disclaimer because microbursts sound very scary, at least to me. Um, This is much less likely today. This crash actually caused NASA to look into developing technology that would detect wind shifts and microbursts to better prepare pilots. And it's now mandatory on all aircraft. So this is not something to be afraid of today. That makes me feel much better. I'm already a nervous flyer, and I was like, oh my god. The last flight in this curse was Delta Flight 191 from Lexington, Kentucky to Atlanta, Georgia in 2006. It was an early morning flight designated to take passengers to Atlanta, basically for connections. For our international listeners, or just people that don't know, Atlanta's airport is one of the largest in the U.S., and it's Delta's hub airport, so it's where they prefer to fly in and out of, especially for international flights, long-haul flights, things like that. They're also notorious for their TSA agents. Yeah. (laughs) So as the pilots taxied for takeoff, they noticed that the runway lights weren't on. They dismissed this, likely thinking it was just because it was so early and prepared for takeoff. Turns out the Lexington airport only had two runways, a longer one for commercial traffic and a shorter one for general aviation aircraft, like helicopters or single passenger planes. Mm -hmm. Pilots taxied down the wrong runway, which was too short for takeoff, and crashed 1,000 feet or about 300 meters from the runway, killing 49 of the 50 people on board. Oh, do you know anything about that one survivor? I mean, they probably are racked with guilt. I was going to say. And, and horrific PTSD. They they must have had every religious mm-hmm. icon, rabbit's foot, superstition laden thing. Yeah. Wow. I know. A really horrific curse. And I mean, luckily, 191 is retired from most airlines, but... You would think it would be all that. That's a lot. I know. That's only one of them is like recent ish. Yeah. Think about it. I guess that's true. And the the Puerto Rico flight was a very small airline flying just within the island. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get the Puerto Rico one because it is so small. It was only traveling within the island, like you said. Yeah. But you would think between the Chicago to LA one, Mm -hmm. like our main one. You know, Florida to Texas, yeah. like Kentucky to Georgia. Like that's, that's crazy to me. I know. And it was like either freak accidents that they never could have known about or things that were just kind of in their control, you know? Wow. So to kind of take it back to our F- American Airlines flight 191. I was going to say, are you going to tell me the wax thing? Not yet. Oh. In, in one second. You ready? Okay. Okay. So in October 2011, a memorial dedicated to the victims of Flight 191 was created near the crash site. The memorial has a decorative garden with a brick wall engraved with the names of all the victims. That's really sweet. You know, a nice place to kind of pay tribute to them. Yeah. Okay, so you know I love ending an episode with a quote. This is where the wax comes in. 
Okay. I feel like it's going to destroy me. Oh, absolutely. Get your tissues ready. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. I found a Chicago Magazine article about some of the victims, which we'll link in the show notes. A couple on the flight, Judith and Sheldon Wax, were traveling to L.A. for the American Booksellers Association Convention. After decades of hoping, Judy's dream of becoming a published author finally came true. She was terrified of flying, but her husband Sheldon, who was also a writer and editor, went to the convention every year and convinced Judy to come with him and celebrate her new book. Their last name was Wax, and that's why it comes up in the the ghost sessions. At their funeral, their daughter Claudia read a poem she wrote titled, To My Mother and Father. Here's the poem. Oh, God. In one unutterable second, you have vanished and left me with more than I could want to have when knowing that I look a bit like both of you is suddenly enough. And she was so excited. Yeah, she was. And her book was about basically her following her dreams and being middle-aged. They were in their late 40s. Wow. And like, yeah, kind of getting a second wind. Yeah. Once I'm assuming once like their daughter was all grown up and... Yeah, Claudia had just gone off to college. Oh my gosh. I know. That breaks my heart. I know. There were a lot of really great people on that flight. So this one's for you. I don't think Chicago will ever forget. I mean, and now you and I won't either. It makes me so sad, but it's true. Yeah. And shout out to David and his premonitions. I hope, Mm -hmm. I mean, he might not be alive still, but I hope he's doing okay. And shout out to Paul for hearing David out. Yeah. Even though there was nothing easy. He could have just like hung up the phone, honestly, and been like, this crazy man keeps calling. Yeah. But But. he listened and he took him seriously. And well, just to reassure everyone, um, the odds of this happening are what again? It was 10 billion to one. So one to 10 billion. Okay, so. but yeah, so your odds are you'd win the lottery multiple times mm-hmm. before this happened to you. So you'd be eaten by millions of sharks. There you go. You'd probably die from a vending machine falling on you. Oof, or a coconut. Or, go- <laughs> <laughs> or a single coconut. <laughs> um, so as tragic as this is, hopefully it won't make you afraid to fly. Yeah, and thankfully, as horrific as all of these crashes were... They did lead to safer protocols, so we we are better off now, so thank you all for that. Next, like, May 25th, or next time you're flying into O'Hare, maybe just, like, take a second. Yeah, just remember them. Yeah. Well, um, you absolutely did destroy my heart. I told you. I am still very freaked out, though, about the knocking. Yeah. And the footsteps. Mm -hmm. I would... I would not be able to handle that, especially consistently, like night after night. Mm-hmm. But yeah. All right. Well, next time we talk to you, it will be just before Christmas. Wow. Yeah. Actually, no, we have a mini Monday coming out. Mini Monday. So we'll talk to you twice again next week. We mm-hmm. haven't, we have them back to back because we missed one. Yeah. So you'll hear about, you'll hear from us a lot over the holidays. You're welcome. Good luck with all of your last minute holiday shopping and Mm -hmm. baking. And we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for listening. As always, if you don't already, please follow us on Instagram at the spectral pod. If you want to send us a story or, you know, say hi, um, always feel free. Our email is spectralpod at gmail.com. Yeah. And you want to close us out? Yeah. Good night. Sleep tight. Remember the victims of the flight tonight. That was a sad one. I know. But. Yeah. 
All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Sorry we ruined your life. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, wheeze into the mic. It's better than whatever the. F- I was adding effect, and everybody loved it. Everybody, everybody in the club getting tipsy. You just blew the speakers. Okay, so I need everybody in the club getting tipsy. Pull way back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like it? Not the breathing. <laughs> I just did it. Thank you.